I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now Matthew chapter 3 at verse 11 is a statement made by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is making a promise on the behalf of God. And that promise is that one was coming, and he's talking about Jesus, of course, who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I am not really sure when he talks about the fire, what he's talking about in particular. I'm, I'm, I'm not certain. He may be talking about baptizing with the fire of hell because the very next verse says that he will burn up his chaff with unquenchable fire. But it may also mean that this may be a form of the baptism of the Holy Spirit which we'll take a look at in, in just a little bit. But basically what he's saying is that uh, Jesus, who was also baptizing with water, along with John, unto repentance, Jesus did the same thing that John did, or at least his disciples did, and then he is going to baptize some with the Holy Spirit. Now in John chapter 1 at verse 33, John again, John the Baptist says, I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So in some way, the Holy Spirit was going to engulf individuals. Now that's basically what he's, making, what he's saying. Now Jesus repeated this promise later, after two of his disciples, right at the close of his life on earth. The, the disciples are asking the question, uh, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And can we sit on one side of you and on the other side of you? And even their mother came and asked, uh, that was James and John, as to whether or not her sons could sit one on the right hand and one on the left. So in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is saying, uh, you're not going to be able to do this. My father will decide who does this. But then he says at verse 23, he said, you shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Now we know that Jesus was not baptized with fire. But he's saying he's going to baptize them with the baptism that he was baptized with. Now we know that when Jesus came up out of the water of Jordan after John baptized him, that the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. So the Holy Spirit overwhelmed him. To that point, we have no information that Jesus was empowered beyond what a normal human being would have in his own powers to do anything. But after the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, he performed numerous miracles, and then he went out into the grave, and he came up of his own accord on the third day. So Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the promise that he had to be empowered with the Holy Spirit was so that he could indeed represent the fact that he was the Son of God. Here's a man on earth saying, I am a Son of God. And the question normally would come up is, how do we know that? How do we know that you are the Son of God? You're telling us, should we accept your word for that? Well, we'll see. Obviously, Jesus did things that nobody else could do. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. He could raise the dead. He could give the sight to the blind. He could heal the leper. He could cleanse the leper. He, he could uh, restore hearing to the deaf. 
He could do all these things, and he could raise the dead. He raised Lazarus for one thing, and he raised the widow of Nain's son also. So he, he could raise people from the dead. Now, the promise was repeated after Jesus rose from the dead, the promise to his apostles that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit was repeated after he came forth from the grave. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus had gathered his apostles together and he, he told them to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard of me, he said. For John truly baptizes water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. Then in verse 8 he said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So he's telling them they're going to be baptized the Holy Spirit, and the purpose he's stating is that you will be witnesses of me. You can testify to other people in this world that I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. I came by direction of my Father to save you. So that's the purpose, to bear witness. Now, Peter made this bold claim for Jesus on the day of Pentecost. After Jesus rose from the dead, on the day of Pentecost, Peter looked out over the group that was gathered there in the, in the, te in the temple of uh, Jerusalem. And he said, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God by signs, wonders, and miracles, which he did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. So Peter said, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and he was approved. He was approved by signs, wonders, miracles. How do we know you are who you say you are? Because Jesus could do things nobody else could do on this earth. And he referred to that power during his lifetime, Jesus did, before he was resurrected from the dead, he referred to that power. In John chapter 5, verse 36, he said, I have greater witness. And that's a key word we'll use as we go through this study. He said, I have greater witness. You know what a witness is? A witness is someone who has observed something firsthand, not secondhand, not by rumor, not by incident, but because they have observed something firsthand, personally. And Jesus is saying, I have greater witness than that of John. So somebody is telling you something about me, and it's a greater witness than even John the Baptist, who saw me and said, this is the Son of God. What greater witness do you have? He said, because the Father has given me works to finish... The same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father sent me. So he said, what I'm doing is witness of the fact that I am who I claim to be. In John chapter 10 at verse 25, Jesus answered them saying, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So, you know what? Something that incidental to what we're talking about. There has never been, up until the, about the 17th to 18th century, basically the 18th century, no one has ever questioned the fact that Jesus healed people and raised people from the dead and did works that nobody else on earth could do. 
It was never questioned. For 18 centuries, it was never questioned. They accepted the fact that he did that, that he did these things. And so Jesus is saying, the works that I do, they bear witness of me. And even while he was on this earth, the people who were opposing him never once said, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. They questioned who did it. They saw it happen. For instance, the man who was born blind, they said, who did this to you? And he said, you've asked me before and I told you and you won't believe in John chapter 10. So what what we're saying is that no one questioned what Jesus was doing. He performed those miracles and his most intense enemies never said, never, and it's never recorded, not only in the Bible, but in contemporary history during his time, nobody ever said, said, hey, he didn't do these things. He did them. And therefore, they were witness to the fact that he was the Son of God. And the apostles then were invested with that same power to witness. Remember Acts chapter 1 at verse 8? They'd be baptized with the Holy Spirit so that they could witness to the world. What? That Jesus is the Christ. In, in John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, the text says, When the Comforter has come, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me, and you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Been with me from the beginning. So, why, why did he make that statement? Been with me from the beginning. Because these men were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus came. They saw him. And they saw him baptized of John. So they were with him from the time that he was baptized of John until the time he rose from the dead. So what could they do? They could say, this Jesus that we see now rose from the dead. We saw it. We saw that. And, and Paul describes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He talks about the, the witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said he was seen of all the apostles. Then he said he was seen of me last, the least of all apostles. And then he said he was seen above 500 people at once. Witnesses. Eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. Some of them saw him from the time he was baptized until the time he arose and walked on this earth and went back to heaven. They saw all of that. They were witnesses. Eyewitnesses. You ask me, well, why do I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Because I believe the eyewitnesses. I do. These men said, I saw him rise from the dead. And I believe that. I believe their testimony. The method that he was going to use was that they would be baptized, that is, the apostles would be baptized, they were given the promise. They'd be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So, in Acts chapter 2, at verse 1, the text begins by saying, When the day of Pentecost is fully come. Now, Jesus had just left these men. He had risen from the dead, and he left them in the city of Jerusalem. And he said, Don't you leave the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Stay, stay here, stick here, wait. And on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost, it says, it was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. So he's talking about the apostles and those who had followed him. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, some say, well, that's the, that's the fire, baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. These were tongues of fire that sat upon each of the apostles so that they could speak with other tongues. A tongue is actually the, in its, 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 uh, an unhappy event that people have translated this term tongue. They've translated the word language into the term tongue, glossolalia, but it actually means language. So they were, they were, they were uh, speaking other languages, known languages, because as they spoke to the crowd, the text says that the men who were there said, how, how hear we them speak to us in our own tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Gauls, Mesopotamia, and he named 15 different countries. They all heard the different languages. These men were speaking in different tongues, different languages. Okay. Now, the, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit came down upon them, it says the Holy Spirit overwhelmed them. Now, that could be baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire, or it could simply be incidental to the fact that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened on three, only on three occasions that we can read about in the New Testament. Three times. Now, this is the first time. Another time happened in Acts chapter 10 when the Apostle Peter was in the city of Joppa and a man who was a centurion of the Roman government in Caesarea had sent to Peter because an angel had appeared to him and and asked him, told him to send for Peter. He'll tell you words whereby you can be saved. So here was a centurion of the Roman government and he was not part of the Jewish nation. And he had no part in what was going on with the apostles. So the angel came to him and said, you need to get up to Joppa and call for this fellow by the name of Peter and get him down here and he'll tell you what you need to do to be saved. So Acts chapter 10 tells us the fact that tells the story about how that these men went to Peter's house and uh, they brought him back and Peter brought six men with him to come back and witness what was going on. And in Acts chapter 10 at verse 36, it says, Peter said, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. So now Peter starts out and saying, God is speaking to Israel. He sent sent the word, He sent His Son to Israel. He's saying, That word I say, you know. It was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism with John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now watch what Peter says. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter, how can you be a witness? Because he was there. And because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit baptized him. I'll tell you in just a minute why he did that. Whom they slew, he said, the Jews, who they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God. Witnesses. He's showing him to witnesses. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15? 
He said he, he showed him to all the apostles. He showed himself to apostles. He showed himself to me as the least, born in the least and the last of all, Paul. And then he said 500 others saw him. So he said, all these witnesses have seen Jesus rise from the dead. Then he said, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. You remember that incident, don't you? The apostles were in a room by themselves and Jesus appeared to them. And they, and they were afraid. They thought, oh, we've, we've seen a ghost. We've seen an apparition. And, and he said, feel me. He said, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. And they, they, uh, they felt him. And before long, he, he left. He ate something with them. He did eat and drink with them. And they were all impressed. John chapter 20. And, and then a fellow showed up with them later that had not been with them when he appeared. And his name was Thomas. And he said, hey, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead unless I can see him and I can put my finger in, in the nail prints in his hands. And I can thrust my hand in his side. Then I'll know. And sure enough, Jesus appeared to them again and told him, here, Thomas, help yourself. And Thomas did. And Thomas fell down and said, my Lord and my God. He believed. Well, Jesus said, blessed are you, Thomas. He said, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Why would I believe what Thomas did? Because Thomas was a witness, baptized the Holy Spirit, and he told me. He told me about Jesus. Now, this is the second time with the house of Cornelius. Now, we know that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's just read a little bit more in the book of Acts in chapter 10 about the household of Cornelius because Peter had to go back to Jerusalem and he had, he had to prove to the unbelieving Jews that God had allowed the Gentiles to also come into the favor of God, into the grace of God. So in Acts chapter 11, Peter had gone back to the city of Jerusalem and he was being questioned by those who, who thought maybe God only cared about Israel, nobody else. But you remember what Jesus said? He told the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, they had only been preaching to Israel, Israelite creatures, not to everybody. But now then, here was Cornelius, and God said, I want them to hear the gospel too. I want everybody to hear the gospel. So in Acts chapter 11 at verse 15, P Peter is rehearsing these words to these people questioning him about whether or not it was appropriate to let anybody else come into the grace of God. And he said, as I began to speak, he's re relating what, he, what happened to him in Caesarea with Cornelius. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. That's the second time the Holy Spirit fell upon people and baptized them. That's the second time first time was in Acts chapter 2. Now this time in Acts chapter 10 and 11. He said the, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus, what was I that I could withstand God? Now that's what Peter said. He said, who can forbid water that these should not be baptized? 
as well as we who have received the same gift. Well, notice, Peter did not baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Peter baptized them in water. And the Lord baptized them with the Holy Spirit. This was, this was before they were baptized in water. So Peter was told, here, I accept these guys. What you need to do then is baptize them with water, which he did. Here, which he did. Now, the other time is, involves a man by the name of Saul, who later became known as the Apostle Paul. We know the story. The story is that, that Saul was persecuting the church. He was, he was arresting men and women, hailing men and women. Acts chapter 8 tells us, hailing men and women and committing them to prison because they were believing in Jesus Christ. So he was on the road to Damascus and he had letters in his pocket. He was going to bring anybody that was of this way, that is people who believed on Jesus, he was going to bring them bound back to Jerusalem and put them in prison. And on the way, a bright light shone round about him and he fell to his feet, fell to his knees from his feet, fell to his knees, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to kick against the goads that are trying to press you on. Anyway, he told Saul, he said, Go into the city of Damascus and into a, into a street called Straight and ask for Ananias. He'll come. Ananias came to Paul. God directed him to, came to Paul, and here's what Ananias said to Paul when he found him. Ananias wasn't too, too uh, hot about going to see Paul or Saul because Saul had been putting everybody in prison that believed on Jesus Christ. And Saul said, Lord, don't you know that this guy's going to put me in prison? And he said, no. He said, he said I'll, 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 I'll go your way because I've chosen this guy. Verse 15, he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. I'll show him how great things. Now I'm reading from Acts 9 at verse 16. How great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you in the way as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is the third time that the Holy Spirit is going to envelop someone. And he's going to be a witness. I've chosen him to be a witness for me. And of course he states that, Paul states that himself in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, let's, let's get some idea of what's going on. These men were going to go tell the story of Jesus. You remember when, if you remember the Old Testament, and I'm sure you do, I'm talking to people that know the Old Testament, that when the whole Testament law was revealed, it was revealed to Moses, and he spent a lot of time up on the mountain receiving the law and writing it down. And when he came down from the mountain, he came down from the mountain with a book. With a book. And with that book, he said, here's what God wants you to do. Here's what God has said to me to tell you. He had a book. And they kept that book. And they put it in the side of the ark. Not inside the ark, but in the side of the ark. And they put the two tables of stones in the ark. And kept them. Had a book. Now when Jesus came to this earth, he did not come with a book. 
He did not come with a manual. He did not come even with a pamphlet. He came with a life. He came living a story. That's what he came. Not telling a story, living a story. He was the story alive. Now, when people went out to tell about him, you know what happens when a witness tells something? Well, they try to get it as straight as they can. You know what's most unreliable in a court of law? You know what the most unreliable type of testimony is? Personal eyesight witness. That's the most unreliable type of testimony that you can have. Because you're going to see something that somebody else doesn't see and somebody else sees different and you're, you're going to get all different versions of what happened. So what did God do? He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And when you tell a story, you're going to tell it right. You're going to tell it without alteration. You're going to tell the same way this one tells it that I've inspired. And this one tells it that I've inspired. And so all of your testimony is going to be the same. You're all going to tell the same story. That's the book that you're going to have. Then we'll write it down later. But right now, you're going to have to be telling that story personally. And I'm going to guarantee that you're going to get it right. That you're going to get it right. Now some people when they got the story, decided they would change it up a little bit. Moses said in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, and God saying through Moses, He's saying, don't add to the commandment or take from it that you may do all the commandments of the Lord. Don't add any words to it or take any words from it so you can get it right. Well, how did he do that? He wrote it down. And so it's all written down. He said, don't change anything. I've got it the way I want it. Don't change anything. I've got it here. It's in this book. So you've got the record. You've got the testimony. But Jesus was the story. So how do, we get, how do we get the story right? He sent his Holy Spirit and came upon individuals and they in turn could get the story right all the time. They all agreed with the same story. Jesus was the story. Now, in Acts chapter 5, it was the start of verse 4, chapter 4, verse 33. The apostles were called into question. The, the apostles, first of all, in Acts chapter 3, Peter was called into question because he had, uh, he had healed a fellow that was lame from his mother's womb. And it said, uh, when they asked him, well, who, who, how did you do this? And, and Jesus said, well, you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. Where have we are witnesses? Peter said, we're witnesses. Later on, they took Peter and the apostles into custody. And they asked them the same question. What are you doing? What are you saying? And Peter said in verse 33 of Acts 4, he said, With great power gave he the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and grace, grace was upon them all. Gave them witness. These men were telling the same story. How? Because the Holy Spirit through them was telling the story. Now you ask the question, why do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Because I believe the witnesses. How can you believe all these different witnesses? Because I'm going to tell you, my friend, they were all telling the same story. Why were they all telling the same story? Because God was inspiring them with the Holy Spirit to get it right, to get it straight. In Acts 5, verse 30 and 31, Peter, the spokesman again, said, The God of our fathers 
raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. God has exalted him with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, whereof we are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. And then you know what they did? They wrote it down. But in the meantime, in the meantime, they had to make sure that they kept the story correct and straight. In John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, John writes this, he said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested unto us that that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship was with the Father that your joy may be full and with you that your joy may be full. Now what they did, what the apostles did, was they took the story that they were been, had been telling everybody, the story of Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't bring a book with him. He brought a life. He brought a life. So now then, the apostles, what are they going to do? They have to tell the story of that life. And they have to get it right. And so the Holy Spirit is making sure that they're getting it right. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, at verse 1 through 4, the writer of Hebrews says this. He said, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. In other words, we ought to listen carefully to what we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Don't let them get away. For if the word spoken by angels, he's talking about the Old Testament now. The angels revealed the Old Testament and it was written down by the prophets, etc. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? So when the Lord came down, he spoke it. And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness. How? How do I know this guy is telling me the right story about Jesus? How do I know that James is telling me the right story about Jesus? How do I know that Peter is? How do I know that Paul is? How do I know that Luke is? How do I know that Mark is? These, these two guys weren't apostles. But they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. How do I know what Matthew is telling me is right? How do I know what John is telling me is right? Because, now listen carefully, he said, God bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So these fellows could perform things that other ordinary individuals could not do. So I'm going to say, how do I know your story is accurate? they then could show me through their works what they were doing, that their witness was accurate. In Acts 22, verse 15 and 16, this text says, You shall be his witness unto all men of, of whom you have seen and heard, and now why tarry you, arise and be baptized and call upon the name of the Lord. He's talking to Paul. He'll be a witness. Now, the promise that the Holy Spirit would descend upon these men was given to them particularly, but it was also given, now we've, we said there's three instances where the Holy Spirit actually came upon and engulfed individuals. They were, significantly, 
and properly baptized with the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the house of Cornelius, and the Apostle Paul. You won't find any other incidents in the New Testament except those three. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. But, there's a promise made in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. That promise is, go ye into all the world, he's talking to the apostles. Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So he's talking about some people beyond the apostles. Somebody else is going to be able to do things that ordinary humans can't do. Those who believe. Now, we know that it happened with those that were baptized by the Holy Spirit, Cornelius and his household. We know that it happened with the Apostle Paul. But what about others? What about others? Now think about it. God is going to tell a story. Jesus came down and lived the story. And he said, go tell the story. He tells the apostles, go tell the story. Now there are only 12 of these guys. And then maybe there's the 500 that have seen him, but there are only 12 that have been baptized. And then, then there's the house of Cornelius. How did anybody else have the ability to tell the same story? And that's a problem, isn't it? Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that has called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Though there is not another, there be some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So there were people out there who were telling the wrong story. They were telling the wrong things about Jesus. How did you know the difference? How could you make sure that the story stayed straight? after it left the apostles and went somewhere else. Because the next way that the Holy Spirit was able to imbue people with the ability to tell that story accurately was by the laying on of hands. Now, we know this happened in Acts chapter 6 at verse 6. There was a situation that rose in the city of Jerusalem during the early stages of the beginning of the church. And the problem was that they were trying to distribute the sustenance to people that were there that had a need. They needed to be fed. They were hungry. They had stayed there. And so they were trying to take care of all this problem of distributing logistically, taking care of a supply chain. And they didn't have the ability to do it. There were just 12 apostles, and the apostles were busy trying to tell the story. And so they said, well, what we need to do is appoint seven men to take care of this other part of it and to do it right. So they took these seven men, Acts 6 and verse 6, and laid their hands on them. Now then, these seven men could tell the story right and do the things Jesus wanted right because they had the power of the Holy Spirit transferred onto them by the laying on of hands. Now we know that's the way it happened because in Acts chapter 8 the, uh, the Apostle Peter was, uh, had heard that people in Samaria had received the gospel. He was in the city of Joppa, for instance, and uh, 
and he had heard that they had received the received the Holy Spirit. He wasn't in Joppa. I'm sorry, I didn't get that. He went to Samaria, and he had he'd gone to the house of Dorcas, and he had taken care of problems there. But then he had heard that Samaria had received the gospel, and uh, Philip had been preaching to them. And then then they sent to the apostles and told them what had happened. And Peter went down to see them, and he found people there that needed to have the Holy Spirit imbue them with the ability to speak the story, tell the story accurately. And so he laid hands on them. Now several things happened when they laid hands on them. They could heal the sick, they could take care of individual problems that arose, and they could speak with other languages, and they could prophesy, they could speak on the behalf of God. And there was a fellow there, a sorcerer, who saw that through the laying on of the hands of the Apostle Peter, that he could make some money out of this proposition. He could sell that, that uh, ability. And Peter told him that he would perish, he and his money would perish, thinking that the gifts of God could be exchanged with money. But he did, he did, he did illustrate this, and that is that they could in fact receive the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. The same thing happened in Acts chapter 19 with the Apostle Paul. Now, to, to get the idea and to, to make, make sure we know what's going on, we have, we have the document in our hands. We have the book. We have not just a pamphlet. We have the entire book. We know the life of Jesus because these witnesses committed it to writing. But it was not committed to writing at that point. All it was committed to was individuals who could tell you what was going on. And in order for them to tell you properly, without any error, they were inspired. In Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul came to Corinth. And at verse 2, he asked the individuals, he found some disciples there. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we haven't so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. He said, what then were you baptized? And they said, under John's baptism. Then Paul said, John verily baptized the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. One of the signs that they were able to speak. The word prophesy means to speak on the behalf of. The, one of the signs that they could speak on the behalf of God was the fact that they could speak in other languages. Let's, let's put it simply. And they, that really took off. People really like that. They, they like that so much that they, they, that's the one gift they wanted more than anything else. They wanted to be able to speak a language they, they didn't have to study and try to learn. Well, let's say we go to a foreign country. We go to Saudi Arabia. And we've never heard the language in our life. Yet we want to speak it. We want to tell them about Jesus. How do I tell them the right story? Well, I have to get a translator, don't I? I have to get a translator. And I have to take this book because this is the story of Jesus. And I have it translated into their language. How did they do it? Well, they didn't have a book. They had the Word in individuals who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
And they were able to speak it. And somebody's going to say, how do I know what you're telling me is from God? So the fellow says, I, I, I can speak another language that I never learned. And so he spoke another language. If he was, if he was a Frenchman, he could speak the language of uh, Rome. He could speak Italian. He could speak Syriac. He could speak all the different languages if God inspired him to do that. And that became a sign of a gift that God had given that this individual was telling you about Jesus, telling the right story. They could do other things as well. Well, let's look at this. In Romans chapter 12 at verse 6, Paul said there's certain gifts that God has given through the Holy Spirit. He said there's gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now that's one type, type of gift that God gives. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he lists the different type of abilities that, that, the, uh, that the apostles had. And the apostles and the disciples who had had the hands laid upon them. He said, you are the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven, And members in particular. And God has sent some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles. And the gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have... All the gifts of healing do all speak with tongue, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Well, what was the best gift? The best gift that he's going to talk about is the gift of being able to tell the story of Jesus Christ without error. Tell it plainly. And if you use another language, make sure that the other language is interpreted. So if you're going to talk in French, be sure that someone is there who can interpret French. If you're going to talk in Syriac, be sure there's someone there who can interpret Syriac. And so Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And he talks about the fact that they really liked this idea of being able to speak in other languages. They were really high on that one. It was evidence that God was speaking through them but they had gotten to the point that they thought, well, this is the best thing going, be able to speak in another language. And Paul is trying to tell them that, no, that's not the best thing. What you need to do, it, for instance, at verse 13, he says, Wherefore let him that speaks in a language, and it, 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 the King James says unknown tongue. The word unknown is a supplied word. It actually just is the word tongue or language. Wherefore let him that speaketh in a tongue pray that he may interpret. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I don't understand what I'm saying, he's saying. Well, then he goes on to say, verse 19, he said, verse 18, he says, I thank my God, I speak with languages more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown language or in a tongue. I'd rather speak five words that you can understand than 10,000 words that you can't understand. I, think, I guess that's pretty, pretty, pretty good advice for preachers too. Better say what, the, what, you, can, what you can 
understand rather than what you, you can't understand. Now what happens here is that when the, when the book is finally written, just like Moses' book, when the book is finally written and we have the story of Jesus, you remember, Jesus didn't bring a book with him, but he depended upon those who, in whom the Holy Spirit was to tell the story accurately. That's who he depended on. When they got the story told, they committed it to writing. And you know what? We have it now. We have it. So, the question is, why would I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I have the book. If what I say, you say, well, maybe you want to speak with other languages. Well, I'd love to do that. But for what purpose? I have a story. It's been told. And it's here. And it's complete. And if I tell any other story, I'm in trouble. So I got, I've got to tell the same story. Why should I have to repeat it? These people had to have it vocally, orally, because they didn't have the book. But once the book is here, you say, well, how many copies are there of this thing? Hundreds, thousands, millions copies of this book. Now we have it. Now we have the story of Jesus. Well, what if I want to teach, what, what, what if I want to witness for Jesus? I want to be a witness for Jesus. I want the fire of the Holy Spirit in me so I can witness for Jesus. The first thing I want to tell you is you can't give witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You didn't see him. You weren't with him. You didn't see him come back from the grave. So you, you can't you can't make that witness. You, so if you went to a court of law and said, I know that Jesus rose from the dead, I, I can bear witness to that. They're going to say, how do you know that? You know what you're going to have to say? I have to depend upon what the witnesses said. <laughs> well, okay. These, we have the court record here. We have the documents now. You're, you're, you're extraneous. You're superfluous. You don't, we don't need what you have to say about Jesus being raised from the dead because these fellows told, told us. And I believe what these men told me. They, they're the credible witnesses. But can I witness? Can I witness anything about Jesus? The Bible tells me in Romans 8 verse 16 that my spirit can testify with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? My witness... My, Spirit can testify to the Holy Spirit. What can my spirit say? How can I give witness to anything? I'll tell you what I can do. I can see Jesus changing lives. I can see that. I can witness that. I can see Jesus changing a person from a cruel individual into a kind individual. I can witness that. I can watch when Jesus changes a violent person into a gentle person. I can see when Jesus changes a selfish person into a generous person. I can see Jesus at work, and I can witness to that. I can see a treacherous individual turned into a babe of innocence. I can see an obnoxious person that just makes everybody uneasy around them turned into a sweet-spirited soul. 
I can see someone who's rancorous in all that they do to someone changed into someone peaceful through the presence of Jesus Christ, through his life and through his influence. I can see the hurtful person turned into a helpful person. I can see a thief turned into an honest person. I can see someone that I wouldn't trust before with my lunch money turned into a person that I would, I would give him my retirement funds because of Jesus, because of the Lord. I can see someone who is uh, pessimistic turned into someone who is optimistic. How are you seeing that, Bill? I'm witnessing that because I'm seeing Jesus work in you. That's the witness I can render. God bless you in that. And I hope you can see that yourself and other people. You can see what Jesus is doing in our lives because you believe the witnesses that Jesus had the right story. He is the story of our lives.